0: Welcome to the Black and Gold Batterette Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, and Eric Lopez along with you here on this. Uh, well, the, the chill has finally reached, and, uh, well, UCL football is trying to get out of a chill of their own over the last couple weeks here, gentlemen. Uh, we've got that to talk about and uh, much more here. Um,
1: have the marshmallows gone on the fire yet, Brian Murphy? i tell you what. <laughs> like... Like like nothing else, every podcast starts with an awful pun. <laughs> just an awful pun. I'm, I'm you, actually, even when I host it? Even
2: when I it? Is
1: it awful no, or no, are no, they just – Every podcast yes. starts with a bad pun. No, the problem There's is no – is- need- there's it's, no need for that. It's not that I have bad
0: puns, it's just that I'm bad at puns. That's that's the thing. I try to I try to be personable and just never works. We are black I'm and gold.
2: You, I'm surprised you didn't start out with to me what this week is going to be all about, which is the equinox is here.
0: Oh, yeah, we are we are eyeball deep in that. We're gonna be talking about that and a lot more here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Blackandgoldbanneret.com is where you can find us, part of SB Nation, of course. You can follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banner at facebook.com slash black and gold banner at and follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon Spokes underscore Murphy and Eric Lopez Elo and we have let's start the show gentlemen with some breaking news. We have uh, we are in the transactions agate Brian Murphy. We have officially will allow us to introduce to you the newest member of black and gold banner at really happy to have him on board. Uh, you may know him on Twitter as Squints underscore 15. He's a UCF graduate and an absolute guru in terms of football analysis. Um, I have completely fallen in love with this guy's writing, and he is now part of us here at BlackAndGoldBanner.com. Anthony Lenahan is on board. Anthony, how are you, bud?
3: Doing good. Appreciate you having me. I don't know if I would go as far as saying guru, but... I appreciate the kind words.
0: Okay, but you're well. You're you're already you're way out in front of all of us in terms of what you've been doing, and we're uh, and we're happy that you had your first piece up there today, which is awesome. And make sure you check it out. And we're going to have Anthony on board here in our first segment to talk about UCF football heading into the their uh, game after two weeks plus a day off. They are facing the Tulane Green Wave in New Orleans. Um, It's uh, well. Let's call it what it is. UCF is trying to get off the schneid after that loss at Tulsa, which seems like a month ago. I'm sure it certainly. If it feels like that to us, I'm sure it feels like that to to the players. Uh, as the Knights come in at seven and three, they are six point favorites uh, over the Green Wave in New Orleans. Sixty six percent of the money is on UCF. The over is at sixty nine and a half. Uh, Tulane comes in six and four, but they are a pretty doggone good. Six and four. If you ask me, Justin McMillan is their quarterback um, who has uh, led a resurgence uh, of the green wave here. Um, And, uh, you know, even though they've cooled off a little bit, uh, it still feels as though this could be a very dangerous game uh, for UCF. Anthony wrote a massive uh, preview of Tulane on offense, which we'll get to in a second. But, Brian, I first want to start with you. You are... Over there at, uh, at practice, you know, well, you're not at practice, you're just outside practice. Um, no, I
1: sleep inside Nicholson Fieldhouse, it's fine.
0: Oh, uh, you sleep inside? It's, it, I mean, I know that you're able to, you know, sneak in there and, and hide around corners and things like that, but um, the atmosphere in the building in the two long weeks since the loss at Tulsa, what is going on in, inside the kingdom?
1: you know, I think everybody's saying the right things, right? Like you're not going to have anybody with the knives out, you know, with, with two games to go in the regular season saying, you know, well, this is a lost season and we're going to play for one. We're only playing for ourselves now. Like, no, I mean, they're all saying the right things. They all want to finish strong. I've got, I've got no, you know, hot tidbits of of infighting or, 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 you know, people complaining to coaches um, it's it's sort of boring right now. It really is. coming is usually how it is coming out of bye weeks. It's pretty boring. You look for storylines, and there's just not a whole lot because we sort of exhausted everything after the Tulsa game, and now the week after that, or two weeks after that, what do we talk about? Well, well, we feel great, or we're ready to get back out there. We're ready to redeem ourselves. Yeah, I, okay, great. I mean, how? It doesn't really <laughs> say anything, you
0: know. No, I hear you. The um, uh. It, it, Eric, it, it is you know, as far as the, it, the what UCF has to do in this game, obviously the division is basically it is gone. Um, what is at stake you're not, here? you pre- wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're not going to give us a. a you're not going to spin like this great crazy scenario that Cincinnati loses out and UCF no. wins. No, I'm not. Oh, gonna
2: give me? oh wow. I'm
0: not. I'm not. I'm out. I'm out. So now, so now at this point, you know, obviously, you know, well, next week speaks for itself against South Florida, but what does this game mean for UCF?
2: Well, it means you want to bounce back. I mean, you do still want to finish strong. I do think, yeah, look, I mean, t- officially for the record, there is still a chance they can win the division. I mean, if Temple were to beat Cincinnati, and then, you know, all of a sudden Cincinnati's got to go to Memphis, things could happen. I mean, it's very con- crazy. I don't want to get into a detail, but look, I think it's important to this team to finish strong. I mean, I think if you can win out here, Get to 10 and 3, I think you got an outside shot of finishing the year in the top 25. But more importantly, I think you got a shot to be a top 25 team in the preseason polls next year. So I think you want to move forward and, and proceed with that and make the most out of it. The last thing you want to do is drop another game here. And now, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, you know, uh, people already feel like it's a, it's a disappointing season out there. Now you don't want to give them more ammunition. So, look, I think it's about bouncing back. I think it's about you know, cleaning some things up. It's about, you know, Dylan Gabriel getting more snaps and getting better. And uh, to me, I do think the bye helps in that regard. Um, I think they've had a chance to reflect on some things, and we'll see. I, I expect them to come out ready to play actually uh, on Saturday. Um,
0: Brian, did injury wise, I think you know the, the bye week helped, you know?
1: Yeah, you know. I think the only major name was that of Greg McRae, and uh, Greg is going to go. Hypo left uh, no doubt there on Monday saying he's 100%, and even um, running back's coach Anthony um, – uh, oh, God, I forgot his last name. Um, Tucker. Geez. Anthony, Anthony, Anthony Tucker. Tucker. Thanks, Anthony. Anthony yeah. Tucker. Uh, Anthony Tucker said today that if the UCF had played a game last week, that McRae would have played in that game. I mean, it seemed like – he was pretty close to going um, against Tulsa. And I know we get wary of coaches lying to us with injuries because, you know, <laughs> coaches lie. Uh, but it, but Heibel did say going into that game that they were going to take that up to the last, you know, the, the, the day of the game. And it just seemed like they that he didn't feel right and they held him out for that game against Tulsa. But he's been ready now for more than a week. And, and so, yeah, they have really... Uh, their, their quartet of top running backs at this stage of the season are all relatively healthy, and that's something that a lot of teams can't say. Uh, well,
0: at least that's good news coming in. Let's bring in the new guy, Anthony Lenahan, here to talk a little bit about Tulane, because, Anthony, you got this huge breakdown up on the site right now, blackandgoldbanneret.com, where you go way in-depth on the Tulane offense and Justin McMillan, who scares the absolute living daylights out of me. Um this season he's thrown for over eighteen hundred yards and thirteen touchdowns. He leads Tulane in rushing with five hundred and fifty-two yards and another twelve touchdowns. Um you know, to Tulane, you know, they got off to that hot start. They started five and one. Their only loss in that first six games was against Auburn, and it was at Auburn. And then they hit the hard part of the schedule. At Memphis, lost. At Navy, lost. Home to Tilt, so they got a win. It was a tight one, but they got the win. And then at Temple, Loss. So they come into this game losers of three of the last four, but still feel like they haven't landed their big blow of the season on anybody yet. You broke this down. What do we know about the Tulane Green Wave coming into this game?
3: Yeah, so Tulane is one of the most efficient offenses in the country. I mean, from a straight epa standpoint which is expected points added i'll probably refer to it throughout uh a lot of my analysis podcasts whatever i write for you guys so that's something that i'll refer to a lot it's pretty much the best measure of efficiency that you could get in terms of football uh so they're one of the most uh efficient teams in the country offensively and their offense coordinator will hall is a spectacular mind um They're going to run the ball a lot, which I think has been a major factor in their losses, actually, their uh, desire to run the ball on early downs. So I think that's a big key to this game for them. Uh, But they're just going to be a fun team to watch, and I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more here. But it's going to be a fun game, in in my opinion.
0: Styles make fights, I think, is kind of what you're saying here because – You know UCF right now averaging just under forty-five points a game and five hundred and forty-one yards. Tulane themselves are averaging thirty-five points a game and four hundred and sixty yards of offense per contest, but they rush for more than they pass. Two fifty-five to two hundred four. When you broke down Justin McMillan, what did what stood out to you? Because now I read your piece and, and you like, I feel the same way that you do that. This guy is really dangerous and, and could present a real problem. Not just, not just this weekend, but um, in the, uh, in the coming years for Tulane, um, what stands out about him to you?
3: Well, he's, he's unbelievable with his feet, uh, which if you watch him play at all, you'll notice that right away. And that's a threat. If you look at a lot of quarterbacks that UCF has lost to, they've been hurt by mobile quarterbacks, not even guys as mobile as McMillan. Uh, if you look at the Pit game, Kenny Pickett had a bunch of key scrambles on that last drive. Just overall, when c- coverage is good and the quarterback could get out of the pocket and run for 10, 15 yards, it's, it's killed UCF a lot on key plays. And McMillan is... The best runner they'll face. Uh, he's one of the best runners in the country. If you look at a straight number standpoint, efficiency standpoint, he's the best running back on their team. If you want to call him a running back, he averages point one point five one six three EPA per rush and is running at a with a success rate of sixty seven percent, which is unbelievable. Uh, Success rates basically on first down runs, you're gaining 50% of the yards to go. Second down runs, 70%, and third and fourth down is 100%. And that's not even including scrambles. Uh, He forces a missed tackle about 0.14, 14% 14 of rushes. So he's just an elusive quarterback, and he's not afraid to get down and slide. He he's not going to take hits. But in as he's so good at running, but he's also a lot better at throwing when he's getting out on bootlegs and uh, rollouts off a of play action, which is extremely hard to defend because it almost it almost opens up an RPO game where he could run on the bootleg or throw, which just adds a whole nother dimension to uh, defend from a defensive standpoint.
0: All right. I should correct myself. I said that I said that he would be good in the coming years. He's actually I didn't realize this until just now. He's a graduate student. I know he transferred over from LSU, but I thought he was a mid-career transfer. I didn't realize he was a grad student transfer. Six three two zero five. He's from originally Cedar Hill, Texas. Um, all right, so UCF's defense, Randy Shannon. What is the formula for confusing Justin McMillan and getting him to not do the amazing things that we just went over that he can do?
3: Uh, get Tulane in third and long and second and long. It's, it's obviously easier said than done. Uh, I think they're probably going to play a spy. I don't know how much that's exactly going to help because McMillan's going to be able to outrun linebackers. He's going to be able to make them miss just, it's not exactly easy to contain them. So they're going to have to, Tulane's going to most likely try and run the ball on first and second down. And they're one of the best running teams in the country. I think I saw last week they have six running backs over 200 yards, which is the only team in the country, which is incredible. Wow. So getting, the, getting them there, you want to get – you kind of see uh, Lamar Jackson. I kind of wanted to make this comparison. Lamar – comparing Lamar and McMillan. Not – obviously McMillan is not Lamar Jackson, but they're playing the, kind of the same style – McMillan's not exactly going to be the most accurate quarterback when he's forced to sit in the pocket and throw the ball. If you get him off his game and get him in obvious passing situations, Tulane's offense has really struggled, and that's been the big key in their three losses.
0: Yeah. Interestingly enough, you know, his his season high for rushing yards in the game is only ninety-one. I say that because you know we we talk about how good his his rushing game has been. You would think that a guy like him has run for a thousand y- or has run for a hundred yards in one game, but he has not just yet. Um, <clears throat> in the losses at Memphis, he threw three picks. Uh, well, let's see. But uh, tally it up. In their victories, he's thrown a grand total of. I'm counting them up right now. Uh, two against Tulsa, uh, one against um, against MSU. So that's three. In the losses, he's thrown. Let's see. One plus three is four. Plus two. Is six plus one is seven. So there you go, right there. It's it's keeping him keeping him in, uh, keeping him back there and not allowing him to uh, run with run around with impunity impunity and find open guys. He's rushed for a touchdown in every game except the Auburn game. So, um, <clears throat> or rather, in the, in his last game, he also uh, he also did not rush for a uh, for a touchdown that game. So um, all right, so let's. Flip sides over to uh, the UCF offense and Dylan Gabriel. You broke down a little bit of Dylan in your article today, coming out of the t- coming out of the Tulsa game. What uh, what is going on right now with um, with Dylan Gabriel and and his progress over the year? I know that he took a lot of heat, um, as did Josh Hypo for the loss at Tulsa, especially in the second half and. The thought is that you know he just kind of gets into the same patterns over and over again when UCF is down, especially in the second half. So, what in your analysis have you seen from Dylan Gabriel over um, this port uh, to this point in the season that is something that UCF needs to be mindful of heading into this game?
3: Yeah, I, I think Dylan's been terrific. Uh, I think you're crazy to think if. Especially the Tulsa game was any more, any, any what remotely on him. Uh, he's been more than you could ask for, and I think more than you would probably have gotten out of any of the other quarterbacks. And I'm someone who loves Daryl DJ Mack. Uh, I thought, I thought he was, I was very excited for him last year when he got the opportunity to play and did really well against Memphis. So I really like Max, but I just think you're crazy if you uh, think that. Putting in uh, replacing D- Gabriel with Mac would would have changed outcomes of games. Um, his his deep ball is one of the best in the country. Uh, throughout the first co- handful of games, I think his he was throwing the amount of air yards he was completing was exceptional. So that's just something that you can't really teach the deep ball, uh, and it's something that's going to stick with him. But I think where UCF needs to grow as from a a scheme perspective and just a total offense perspective it's just being able to not have to rely on the deep ball to win games and to be able to throw the ball short. And if you look at how Cincinnati and Tulsa for the most part defended UCF, they kind of played soft coverage and wanted to take away the deep ball. I know Tulsa was playing two high and three high safeties most of the game, which they're taking away the deep ball. UCF was able to get in a couple. But uh, in the two in the losses to Cincinnati and Tulsa, Gabriel was only completing four point four air yards per attempt and three point nine six air yards per attempt, which is three to four yards lower than what he's completing in wins. So it's just showing you how, how much emphasis those two defenses were on taking away the deep ball. And UCF actually had a lot of success at the short passing, short to intermediate passing game in those two games. They just kinda went away from it. So I think I, w- I want to see how they could kind of not rely on the deep ball and win a game.
0: It, it does feel like sometimes in those games, I I particularly come back to and Brian, we talked about this too, right, was especially in that Cincinnati game, it's like that was the blueprint because uh, Gabe Davis had, I think it was a season high, I think it was a career high, wasn't it, Brian? It was like 13 catches, but for only about 130-some yards, so 10 yards a catch, which is – well below his season
1: average. I think it was like half of his season average at least at that point. Is that right, Brian? Something like that, yeah. I'm not exactly sure of his line. I do know that he had 21 or 22 targets in that game. Yeah, yeah, I think
3: it was even more than that.
1: Uh, Yeah, and and, and they just simply –
0: Cincinnati was not going to let him get past them. So the read every single time for Gabriel was – if you know it was like a classic run and shoot read if he's if they're if they're long i'm short if they're short i'm long and they just played him long and so he had to throw to him short the whole time and then it seemed like dylan gabriel started getting a little bit impatient with that and they started forcing the issue deep and that's where ucf i think got into trouble in that game does that sound about right
1: Yeah, I mean, that that sounds about right. I I think my concern, shifting it back to this game, is, and Anthony, I want you to chime in on this, you know, UCF's defense is known for bringing its pressure with, you know, lots of linebackers blitzing and and corner blitzes, safety blitzes. I wonder, in in an attack like this, and it's so um, excelling in the run game, where you sort of want to force McMillan to be a passer, if it doesn't help you more to try to box him in with four men, and then try to just spy him with—I mean, again, not only just one guy but two guys—because if you bring the house and he makes you miss, then he's got a ton of room behind, like behind you. Um, I worry about that. I worry about him breaking contain when you when we are over aggressive on defense.
3: Yeah, that's definitely a worry because if you bring six or seven guys, even you're pretty much in man you have to play man against pretty much any personnel unless it's a heavy personnel, which bring six or seven is completely normal. But Tulane will, loves to keep uh, send out everybody. They'll, they'll, they'll go five-man protection most of the time. So it's hard to bring six or seven, whatever you could bring, and then you're in man with the defenders all turned to the quarterback. So once he breaks, once he breaks the line of scrimmage, it's, it's pretty much game over if you do that.
1: Yeah. yeah. So that's going to be. I think what's and I think what's great about what Anthony uh, put on the site today is, you know, you can see what we're talking about. He's he's he gives us clips, and you can see how dangerous not only what McMillan Mac- Mac- does, but the various sets that Tulane set, sets up in, all the misdirection and the RPOs, uh, and, and really the creative ways uh, that again they, they they get their guys in position to to uh, to make plays. And it, 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 there's a lot of things that Yusuf Stevens going to need to pay attention to. And unfortunately, a lot of it's going to be, you know, fakes and misdirections and they're going to need to figure out what is real and what isn't. Yeah.
0: Last question for you here, Anthony, before we let you go. If you're a fan watching this game, what's the one thing that, that you see on each side of the ball that, it, that will be a good sign for UCF, both on op- one on offense and one on defense? If, if we see UCF doing this on offense – it's going to be a good day, and if we see them doing this on defense, it's going to be a good day.
3: Uh, on offense, I think it just comes down to pass protection uh, against Tulsa. Tulsa was bringing brought three or four guys pretty much every single drop back, and they were still getting pressure. When you drop seven or eight guys into coverage, and UCF runs a lot of seven man protection, you just can't win like that if you're letting up pressures on three or four man rushes with seven man protection. You got, then you have. You're leaving yourself seven or eight guys in coverage to cover three guys. It it's impossible to it's impossible to have an efficient offense like that. So I think that's huge. Uh, Gabriel, I think he he's going to be a lot better being able to scram, uh, get out of the pocket and stuff like that as he gets a little bit older mm-hmm. and adds that to his to the to his game. But it's still extremely difficult with how quick quick his reads seem to be and how fast his kind of progressions are limited uh, with just kind of looking towards one side of the field and kind of only having one or two options maybe on every play. So when those get taken away, it's it's almost impossible when you're getting pressured in two and a half, three seconds against a three- or four-man rush. So I think that's what the offense comes down to. Uh, it's been a major factor in all the losses. Cincinnati, there's pressure that destroyed them too. Yeah. Um. Defensively, just not getting fooled by all the eye candy. Uh, I've watched every single Tulane play this season uh, rather closely. I don't know if that's something I should be proud of or not. But, <laughs> but they do a ton of fun stuff, from route combinations to O line blocking schemes on run plays to just motions. It's it's a ton of fun to watch, and I've kind of fallen in love with the offense to be quite honest. So I'm looking forward to see how uh, this, this offense looks against UCF and how, how if they could keep it a game. But if you look at UCF's defense last year, I haven't really charted it this year. It's just very time consuming, but last year they got destroyed on routes that kind of ended up at rub routes or pick routes or just combo, any type of combo routes because they play like their coverage was more of man switch. So, when two guys cross, they were trying to pass them off from cover, from corner to corner or corner to linebacker, which is why you saw like Nate Evans get stuck on a slot receiver, mm-hmm. uh, outside receiver a lot. So I think M. Tulane runs a lot of those kind of plays where they're running guys all over the field and a crisscrossing guys. So I think that's going to be key to see to see how UCF responds to all the the motion kind of that Tulane's going to throw at them
0: excellent breakdown Anthony can't can't tell you how much I uh, we appreciate it in sort of taking the magic and making it and making it clear to see here so uh, before we let you go how can fans follow you here uh, now that you're part of the team and then um, and what are some of the things that you really want to do uh, not just throughout the rest of the year but uh, in the upcoming offseason?
3: yeah you can follow me on Twitter at squints underscore 15 uh, pretty much I, try, I'll, I tweet out a lot of stuff, a lot of thoughts, uh, all post-game. I'm not, I don't really like to kind of react in-game. I kind of like to rewatch and do all my nerdy stuff before I kind of comment on everything.
0: So, You're much smarter than the rest of us for doing that, so by don't, the way. <laughs> don't look for anything
3: in-game there. Uh, and then a couple ideas I have in mind going forward is I want to really look at uh, UCF's routes on every pass play. So it's something I started to do is chart – Defensive coverage depth, with how many high safeties and what route every player runs on that play, uh, depending on if they get the ball or not. Kind of look at my initial hypothesis is that UCF's basically all their pass pass plays are uh, option routes. So, like we said before, if Cincinnati's forcing you to throw short, if they're not getting press coverage. They're going to run like a six-yard hitch or a curl or something along that nature compared to when you're getting press man on the outside and Gabe's just going to go deep. And mm-hmm. I think you've seen it a couple of times with miscommunications because of this. Uh, the intentional grounding in the the, the fourth quarter, the Tulsa game on the last drive was just, they ran that play two other times and against the same exact coverage, they ran the the wheel route down the sideline and that's what Gabriel threw and then Trey stopped on that. So I think that's kind of why you saw some miscommunications there. So I kind of want to look at that with kind of the progressions, and then something I'm also decisive, uh, not decisive, thinking about is I have like a opinion that UCF's offense is built to like score points, but not not it's not necessarily a cohesive offense, if that makes sense.
0: So, I, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, it does feel like it's. there's some pieces that are kind of in transition so i see what you mean by that and i've i've kind of wondered that too so i'd be interested to see how you break that down and and see that go ahead with what you were saying i'm sorry
3: yeah so i i want to go through and kind of look at all drives for every team and look at the amount of three and outs and stuff like that and see how deep i could go into it i have all every play-by-play of the entire season for every fbs team in excel so kind of want to see what i could kind of play with that around and see what comes up with that kind of just want to learn uh do a little bit more studies uh, a little bit with the entire fbs and look at stuff like that rather and maybe conference related rather than try to broaden it out and give a little context behind what ucf is in certain categories
0: well anthony you uh were we are very lucky to have somebody who knows how to do all that on staff now, and we really appreciate you coming on board. And um, here's to having you on the podcast a lot more often, and seeing uh, and having the canvas on which you can paint the pictures that you want to paint. So we really appreciate you coming on uh, again. Squints underscore fifteen on Twitter. Uh, make sure you follow him, and uh, and yeah, check out uh, his breakdown of uh, Tulane's offense and, and the progress on UCF's uh, side of the ball, on the UCF offense side of the ball, um, heading into uh, this weekend's game. Anthony, thanks again for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you down line.
3: Appreciate you having me.
0: All right. And uh, stick around. When we return, Brian and Eric will join me here as we uh, break down some, uh, some men's soccer, actually, with, uh, uh, UCF heading into the NCAA's. Eric has got uh, Eric's got his blowtorch ready that he's going to take to the NCAA committee, and uh, a bunch more here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. When we return, stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here. Uh, follow us as always at Black and Gold Banneret. Dot com ucf underscore Banneret on twitter um eric real quick before we move on to other things you had a couple of interesting trends you wanted to point out that we missed in the previous segment go ahead
2: well i got a couple trends i want both your reactions it's uh, there one is a gambling trend and one is i don't know if it's a gambling trend, but it's interesting so there's a negative and a positive trend i have for ucf all right negative
0: start with the is, bad news first yeah get it out of the way ucf has not covered six of their last seven games Hmm. Uh, I'm not surprised by that because I feel like some of these I, – I felt the entire season, like some of these lines that UCF has been – have been thrown at UCF are a little inflated, don't you, Brian?
1: A little bit. Um, I think this one against Tulane is pretty legit.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um,
1: but, yeah, maybe so. But there's, there's been a bunch of backdoor covers.
0: That's true. That's, that's also true. I think that, that people forget about that too. And UCF is, is the uh, – they're the kings of the backdoor of allowing the backdoor cover out here. But uh, what was the other thing you had, Eric? Yeah, on the positive end, though,
2: UCF has now has won eight of their last twelve games that have kicked off at noon. This is since two thousand and sixteen. Because people, some people have messaged me about, oh my good, noon game. They're going to sleepwalk through this game. What's going to happen? Actually, UCF is very good at noon. They have won. They're eight and four since two thousand and sixteen. In games that have kicked off at noon, in contrast, Tulane is only six and seven in noon games, and they've only played thirteen noon games since 2013.
1: Well, yeah. how, good is UCF, how good is UCF at 11 a.m. games? Because it's 11 a.m. <laughs> local.
2: Uh, well, this strat is noon or 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 uh, you know
0: noon under, Eastern, no. noon Eastern, I guess you could say noon right? or lower. Like for example, the Fiesta Bowl counts
1: towards that number I gave you, because that yeah. was, as you, know, I, as you
2: know, that was a, what was that, a 10-30, 11-30 kick there in Glendale?
1: That was 11 a.m. That was an 11 a.m. start. 11 a.m. Glendale, Yeah, it was 11 a.m. Yeah,
2: yeah. They've, you know, so they've won their, uh, They've won noon games uh, and or, or earlier, uh, they're 8-4, and four, so contrary to what some might think, they've actually played well in early games.
0: And when is this game? CBS Sports Network, 12 noon Eastern time, so... Uh, 11 a.m. kick uh, locally in New Orleans, by the way. Uh, ben Holden, Ross Tucker, and Ashley Holder will be the crew for this game. And uh, um, and by the way, we have the uh, start time for UCS final regular season game against South Florida. It will be on ESPN at uh, 8 p.m. on Black Friday. How about the prime time setup for... That? Now, I, I know we're going longer than we wanted to on this subject, but um, how about the strength of the... Warren and I-4 rivalry, that both teams are kind of having off years this year, I think, in the eyes of the national audience, all right? And yet this game gets prime time on the mothership. That's, well, that's the a, good, that's a mean, favorable was, time slot, very favorable time slot, yes. that's right? a
2: good slot. It's not the slot. I mean, the slot is ABC 330, as we know from a couple years ago. But it's, look, the only reason, let's, let's cut to the chase. The reason they got the eight p.m. slot, is to keep Brian Murphy's dream alive, <laughs> alive, of a possibility of doing the unthinkable, the the unheard of, the the, the 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 most insane thing possibly ever done by a UCF media member. Cover both UCF basketball and football in completely different coast on the same weekend. Shocking. It's still alive.
1: It's still alive, and I will say uh, that as I've, I I am continuing to give this more thought. And really, really, the time of this game, as much as I have been pressing about it and, and, and going through all the, the permutations of, well, it can't be early, it's got to be late. Actually, now it probably doesn't matter. It, <laughs> it, it, it could be late or early because I'm now looking more toward the Sunday Championship Day finale uh, oh. of, the, of the John Wooden Classic. Uh. I, would, I, would, I, would leave, I would leave I would leave Saturday go uh, to Anaheim on, for Sunday basketball and then return that Monday morning for a possible, I don't know, maybe they would hold a press conference or not because they wouldn't, be in the conference tur- they wouldn't be in the conference championship game. So maybe it'd be like a bye week where maybe I'll stay an extra day in California. Maybe I won't come back till Wednesday. At, I don't look know. Look
0: at you scoring points with Coach Dawkins by, by pulling that off. All right.
2: I mean, uh, listen, I'm going to go on record. If you pull this off, Murph, if you pull this off, I will call for a Brian Murphy statue in between the basketball arena and the football stadium to be built. That's (laughs) all I'm
0: saying. We will mint that thing ourselves and we will get, and and we will get Dan Forcella's approval for this. No doubt about it. Um, All right. uh, Let's switch gears here to the other football. Let's talk men's soccer. Uh, UCF got to the championship game of the American once again, but, It was uh, a a championship at home, finally breaking through against SMU after two consecutive years of losing to the Mustangs in the championship game. It was not to be. One to nothing final. Um, SMU got the victory and their third consecutive victory over UCF in the American championship game. So that um, led to Selection Monday, where we were thinking, Eric Lopez, that uh, UCF, you know, if they won the conference, they could have had a shot at a, at a top four national seed. If they didn't, kind of so all, or, or so we thought. Or all, if they didn't, all bets were off. But as it turns out, UCF gets the number nine national seed. Only sixteen teams are seeded. UCF is the ninth uh, of is the number nine national seed. So they get the buy. That's the good news, and they host. But they're. On the other side of the, uh, in the next round, they would pl- they would face a rematch with SMU. SMU came in at the number eight seed. Uh, the Knights were eighth in the coaches' poll, and they were in the top five in the RPI. Um, and you, Eric Lopez, in a piece on Black and Gold Banneret, um, as I took, as I said earlier, took a blowtorch to the NCAA Olympic Sports Committees um, and broke down exactly how. It, it doesn't seem like these people watch any soccer or at least have been paying well, close a attention I in the last, especially in the last three weeks here as, you know, UCF was initially a sixth seed when they revealed their top 16 as of November 1st, and then they dropped two spots. While well, the action around them kind of was a little bit more chaotic than everybody thought. So my question to you is, all right, so so UCF plays the winner of Missouri State and Denver um, oh, at home boy. on Sunday at 6. Go ahead. What's, what's up?
2: Well, not only let, – let, let, let's get into the fact they got a raw deal in the seat. They should have been a top eight seat, all the numbers. And I break it down on the article at com. I broke down the schedule strength, the non-conference schedule strength. I have every data that that committee in, has, I know exactly what they're looking at, and clearly they don't know how to understand, they, but clearly they don't concept it or they don't care. UCF, okay, not only has one of the top conference, uh, schedules in the country, 15th toughest schedule, which is better than every team that was seated higher than them as far as the bubble seats. We're talking the SMUs, the Stanford's, the Washingtons, and Indianas. They had a better non-conference schedule than all of those teams. To give you a perspective, UCF's non-conference schedule, which is the schedule you can control, 33. All right, Washington, who's seated higher than them, 141. Stanford, 155. Clemson, 180. Give me a break. By the way, there's 206 teams in college Division I men's soccer. To give you an idea how bad those numbers are. And yet those teams got rewarded. Now you might say, well, maybe the conference took down UCF. Actually, the American is rated the third-strongest conference, according to the RPI, higher than the Pac-12, which had Washington and Stanford seated higher than UCF, and higher than the Big Ten, which is a six. They're in sixth place in yeah. the conference, and they put Indiana ahead of them. Well, maybe maybe that UCF just didn't have enough top 50 wins. Well, UCF has five wins against the top 50. Stanford has four. Indiana, four. Hello, Washington 6. None of these numbers make any sense for UCF not to be a top 8 seed. What did make sense, though, and I pointed this out and I found out is, in the committee there was a representative from the Pac-12, which just so happened to have two teams in the top 8 seeds.
0: Hey, I got a question for you. How many representatives from the American?
2: Uh, That would be zero.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Interesting.
2: The ACC had representation, including a head coach from the ACC that eh, got a top 4 seed. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but whatever, uh, whatever. Um, so that it's a joke. It's a joke, but all right. So, so we, we get that out of the way. Okay. But I don't want So not only do they get a bad seed, they get paired up with SMU right? and their, their, their biggest rival. And as Scott Calabrese uh, describes here on Monday on selection show, even he was surprised when he saw SMU on his side of the bracket.
4: Uh, That did stick out to me, that that was a possibility. And um, you couldn't have two teams more familiar with each other over the past three years than than, than us. So I was surprised uh, that we got put in that bracket with them because I I feel like the committee usually tries to to keep those conference rivalries apart until later on. But, uh, yeah, we... Both teams know each other. If that happens, I'd, I'd love that opportunity. And I think our guys would love that opportunity.
2: That was Scott Calabrese from the Selection Monday show uh, on campus. SMU, and this is the thing, SMU was the eighth national seat on November 1st by this committee. They go; they did not lose a match the rest of the way. They win the American Conference Championship in Orlando, which included a win over Number, UCF, who's a top five team, top six, top ten, okay? And they stayed at number eight. What? What the <laughs> heck is that? Meanwhile, Washington loses a couple times during the week. Stanford loses a couple times, and they move up, and Stanford moves up. Washington pretty much drops only to six. What the heck is that about? It's absolutely absurd. But then the best one of them all, you mentioned, Jeffrey, UCF will host Sunday night, 6 p.m., they're going to play the winner of Denver and Missouri State, the Missouri State team that is the only team in the country that is undefeated. They're 17-0-1. They're ranked 12th in the country in the polls. They're number 12 in the RPI. They're, number, they're top 10 offensively and defensively. They have one of the best goal scorers in the country. They were the number 12 national seed on November 1st. They did not lose a match. Remember, I said they are undefeated and magically drops out of the top 16 seed in 17 days without losing a match
0: so this is the what you're saying is this is, UCF got stuck into the group of death is what you're saying because yes. now, a let's a, say there
2: was a listener or a podcast that described yeah. the group of death which is what's described to Uh, every four years when the World Cup in men's soccer, and there's a tough draw where everybody's good in a specific group that's clearly the better group than everybody else, and they call it the group of death. Yeah, this is the group of of death. UCF is the only national seed that potentially, potentially, we don't know yet because Missouri State's got to play Thursday night, as we we record this Wednesday night. UCF potentially would have to go through three top 12 teams in the RPI, three top 12 teams, just to get to the College Cup. They're the only team that
0: can... that's the only team that has that path. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, it's. Uh, and by the way, that was Eric Edwards, uh, UCF1 Big Ohana yeah. on Twitter, who, who I wanted to credit Eric on that. But um, it, it's, just, it's just bizarre. And by the way, Denver, for those of you who've listened to the podcast closely, they don't have that great goal scorer anymore that they had last year, Andre Shinyashiki. They finished 6 11 3 this year, but won their conference. So that's, pro- so that's why they got in, and that's why they're playing Missouri State. In the first round the, Right. Who has the goal? Matthew Bentley.
2: That's a name to keep in mind. Great name, by the way. Matthew right. Bentley.
0: Um, 14
2: goals. 14 goals on the year. Him and Cal Jennings, two of the top 10 goal scorers in the country. Potentially, if Missouri State wins Thursday, could be on the same field come Sunday night at UCF. And for the second week in a row, Jeffrey, they would have to face a top 10 offense and a, top, a team that's ranked inside the top 12 in the country. SMU is ranked 10th. Now Missouri State 12, back-to-back weeks for Coach Calabrese in the Knights.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's going to be, a bit, but again, a big game on Sunday here. At least they get the bye, so they get a lot of time off um, to get healthy, to get ready. Uh, and then, you know, not a moment too soon because they're going to be playing a really tough opponent, most likely. You never know because this is soccer, sure. but they'll be playing a tough opponent in um, Missouri State. So I believe you had one more clip from Calabrese. Is that right?
2: Yeah, more positive <laughs> or, or more interesting <laughs> Coach Calabrese reacting as we tend to forget Jeffrey uh, this is now the second consecutive year UCF makes the NCAA tournament there was a drought prior to Coach Calabrese's arrival they're making the tournament for the second year in a row his thoughts on that and what he thought about
4: the seeding that he got it's uh, amazing to have the opportunity to return to the NCAA tournament you you see the field is incredibly strong Um, so to be able to continue our season and uh, you know especially to to get a seed which means you have a bye Uh, you can you can really prepare for you know the potential two teams that you're gonna face Um, you get a little bit of rest so that you're coming into that game on Sunday fit fresh ready to go Um, you know it's 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 tough uh, we always like to think um, you know that, that we're a top team and uh, to, to be seated means you are a top team and uh, you know ultimately there are, there are people in that room and I'm sure that they had reasons uh, that, that were completely valid for, for why they seated us where they seated us um, and, and to be honest as long as we have the buy, which I think gives us uh, a little bit more time to prepare. Uh, at, at this point, no matter what your seed, you are going to face either uh, a team that's just won a championship and is flying high, uh, or or a team that has had an incredible season and uh, puts themselves in this top forty-eight. Uh, so, it, uh, honestly, it doesn't matter. And that was Scott Calabrese from
2: Monday, a coach there talking about all that. So we'll see what happens Sunday. Uh, Murphy, you, know, you were with me there. Great crowd on Saturday night against SMU, 1,237. One of the biggest, if not the biggest crowd ever to see a UCF men's soccer game. Cold conditions in the 40s, saw a great match, SMU-UCF. Hopefully a similar turnout Sunday because UCF might need that.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, it they were so close. And, and you know, you, you talk about how much that one loss might have changed uh, their seeding. You know, really, they dom- I thought they dominated that game, uh, second half especially. especially they, yeah. had, they, they had possession for basically the entire half, and, and just couldn't get one in the back of the net. Some of their, the, a lot of their corners weren't on target, um, and, and just didn't. It just didn't happen. And you know, it just goes to show the thin line between um, a win and a loss. And because of that, they are where they are, which, as you've laid out beautifully, is probably the toughest road of anybody in the forty-eight. Yeah,
0: well. We know this. If they get, if they get through, let's assume it's Missouri State, most likely. They get through Missouri State. They got to face SMU. They get through SMU. They got to face who?
1: Virginia, number
0: one, number number one, one right, overall Virginia. seed, Virginia. That's right. So it is in so as it's uh, it's not the group of death, but it's certainly the bracket of death for um, for Scott Calabrese and UCF. But uh, if they have the offense to do it, they they may indeed have the offense to do it. So. Uh, we'll have to see how it plays out Sunday at 6 p.m. on campus at UCF. UCF against Missouri State or Denver. So mark your calendars uh, for that. All right. Let's switch gears over to hoops. And I want to talk about men's basketball um, you know, as the season. the well, I, call, I was about to call it the preseason because the coaches call it the preseason. Even though it's not the preseason, the games count. Um, <laughs> but after the, uh, after the loss to Miami at home... Uh, UCF had a, uh, a five days off and then a tough trip out to uh, Illinois State, which is uh, up in the rather appropriately uh, named Normal, Illinois. Um, As site of, of, of UCF's big uh, NIT victory a couple years ago, uh, and actually it's a few years ago, it's a long, a long time ago actually when you come to think of it, but uh, UCF got us a key victory over the Redbirds, 67 to uh, 65. Uh, the Knights actually trailed by nine at the half, and then outscored the and then outscored the uh, uh, Illinois State by 11 in the second half. Colin Smith, nice game. 18 points, six rebounds, six to 12 from the field. 17 points from Brandon Mayhan. Um, uh, Darren Green Jr. 13 points off the bench. Also, I should say, Mahan had uh, 10 rebounds as well. Off the bench, and uh, and and Brian, you followed this game very closely, and you had a a, and you came up with a uh, your analysis of it. I thought was pretty astute, um, where it seems as though Johnny Dawkins and UCF they've kind of found a little bit of a stride in terms of a lineup, and and it might have been just matchups, but they found a unit that seemed to work here. can you go into more depth on that?
1: Yeah and I, I, I believe your preface is correct that we don't want to get too out too far out in front and say well they've they've got it they're together. Oh my now. God, they've so, got it sweet 16 here we jump. <laughs> problem solved yeah, this could have been just a matchup issue where they took advantage of of Illinois state's lack of size. So basically what they would do is put Avery Diggs and Colin Smith, both big men on the floor, and basically have them run a high-low game with uh, uh, Avery setting screens at the top at the uh, top of the circle, kind of the top of the post, and sort of feeding in from there to Colin down low. Um, but also because Brandon Mahan has no conscience as a shooter, and because <laughs> Darren Green is a freshman, looks outstanding already. Uh, they've got options on the wings where if, if they're going to crash on Colin down low – they got Mayhan and Darren Green on the wings who can hit threes um, in bunches, and Dazon Ingram is running the point pretty well, I, you know. But I think the star of this game really was Avery Diggs, I, a guy that no one really knew a whole lot about, you know, a, a JUCO transfer who even admitted in the preseason like how how different it is here, how yeah. you know, like yeah, you can you can dominate in JUCO because it's JUCO, but like he could t- he could, he could tell uh, in the exhibition season just how how much he had to change his game, his body, and everything like that to keep up. And I thought you saw him break out in this game, not only as a low post scorer, also he showed he could turn around and shoot from about 12 feet, 15 feet. He also showed good passing out of the post. I think Avery Diggs is an extremely important part of this team right now, and that's not something I thought I would say three games ago. I got it. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, just to your point, Jeffrey, I think the five that we saw that really worked was – was Colin Smith and Avery Diggs, the four and the five, and then having, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, Brandon Mahan and Darren Green Jr. on the wings. You're still trying Dayson to get Ingram. the names right,
0: aren't
1: you? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I'm still thinking of Anthony Tucker. Uh, <laughs> and then having Dayson Ingram run the point. And that leaves them with a lot of options on the bench, obviously. I mean, they were starting Cesar DeJesus early on. They can still bring him off the bench, or maybe he's more comfortable. Remember, Cesar's basically been a bench player for this team the last couple of years uh frank burts same thing he's sort of been a microwave guy off the bench matt milan is still struggling he is now i believe one for 14 from three point range i still believe he'll turn it around it's only three games he, but he isn't feels sli- like he's uh, pressing maybe. a little bit you know as the hometown kid he you know is. and he's not and unfortunately he's not adding enough defensively to be really worth the time so you saw him basically be abandoned in that second half i think in this uh In the second half, box score, he played two minutes in the second half. Matt Milan. I mean, this is a guy that you thought was going to be really their starting two or three. uh, And they absolutely went away from him in that second half of that game. And it worked out great because they found something that worked against Illinois State.
0: Yeah. I I agree with you. I've been really impressed with Diggs, even from the first game where we saw some flashes of a a different kind of skill set. He looks really, I I thought he looked more refined than I was anticipating as a big Mm -hmm. guy. Um, having him down there with Smith, I, I got, I think we've got to give a ton of credit to Colin Smith. Who's really, who's he, kind of taken the torch and stepped it up big time. We, we knew yeah. he had the, we knew he had the, the talent to do it, but I think he's actually playing above his head right now. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm really surprised at how comfortable Dazon Ingram looks running the point right now. I mean, we know how talented he is. He's an, he's an experienced player, obviously as a, as a, as a redshirt senior, um, you know, having played in the SEC before, but uh, it, that doesn't make what he's doing any easier, right? And and, and the fact that he's been able to, um, at six six, be such a threat um, is—I uh, I was actually pretty impressed with. How about you?
1: No, definitely. I think you know what he brings. You know, they were they were using Caesar at the one a little bit this season, but what really Dazon brings is he's six six. Yeah, he's uh, physical. I mean, he really—I mean—he really shows it. I think when he wants to use his size, because he's a pretty good driver, and when he when he really gets behind his his shoulders and really uses his size, he's really difficult to stop going full speed. So, and you saw that in this game mm-hmm. where he drives to the lane, and there's a guy right in front of him who's set up well to take a charge, and in very fluid motion, si- just sidesteps the guy with, uh, with a little uh, shake to the left, and it leads to an easy layup. And for a guy of his size, uh, that's that's what he can do at six six. And I think that's that is something that uh, is going to be pretty crucial for this team going forward. Um, I, I, but I, I think for me, more than days, more than days on is this team would be zero three if Brandon Mayhan wasn't ruled eligible right before the season began. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, the Texas a and transfer has been lethal from deep. He has been an absolute uh necessary cog for this offense that you didn't know where the points were going to come from. And yeah, he's going to have some cold streaks, but man, he can get hot in a hurry. And then, you know, it's early, but we can already start saying like, you know, how talented is Darren green jr. Uh, he, he looks like he is made for this moment as a freshman. There's a reason why, why while the likes of Dre Fuller and Tony Johnson are still learning that Darren, they're throwing Darren out there, and they basically said at the start of the year that they want him to, to be out there because he's got this special gift. He's got this special talent of shooting, and he has shown it in spades. And so if they can continue to get that, that, that perimeter shooting from Mahan and Green with on controlling everything at the top, and then you've got Avery and Colin, both of whom aren't just post players but can step out uh, as well. Uh, you know, I, I know it's only one game, but this is, this was pretty fun. This is the, the future looks pretty fun.
0: Well, um, it, Colin Cowherd had a, a, an interesting quote that he attributed to somebody else. I can't remember who, but, um, he said, um, one of the, one of the rules that he's, that he's kind of, uh, that he tends to follow is if you can't be good, be interesting. I think yeah. that this team is very interesting. I don't know if they're good. But, right. you know, especially based on the competition that they played so far. But I think they're better than probably we anticipated, at least at this point I know we're three games in. But, um, but they are certainly interesting. They got a big game coming up against Charleston on Saturday at 2 at, uh, at really a district. Really arena. Really yeah. good
2: College of Charleston team. This is a team that's won 20, uh, 24 games or more the last three seasons two years ago. Uh, was within a basket, literally could have beaten Auburn up in San Diego, lost by four in the NCAA tournament, Mm -hmm. and has one of the best guards that UCF's going to see, and a guy by the name of Grant Riller, who's actually from Orlando. He went to high school at Ocoee High School. He's the preseason player of the year in the Colonial. He's averaging 21 points a game, and really kind of an old-school player. Doesn't depend on the three-point shot. He's only attempted 13 threes in four games. He gets to the free-throw line eight times a game, but he kind of runs that offense. They're very small. Their biggest guy they usually play is Osanagi Smart, who's about 6'8", Murph. This is interesting. Charleston likes to play guards. Uh, They're very small. Their tallest guys are 6'7", 6'8". They play a lot of minutes. That's interesting with the size of UCF and the contrast there, Murph.
1: Yeah, and it would be interesting to see if UCF – Changed anything, you know, because that worked so well for them against a smaller team last time. Or if Charleston just changes the way they defend, do they harass more on the perimeter? Do they double team ball? Do they double team ball handlers? Do they press more? I mean, Illinois State pressed a little bit. And I think with this kind of team and you saw it late in that game, guys, like this, this UCF team can be certainly. Forced into mistakes. Yeah. Uh, in the first, in the first half, they they were all they were they were they were shooting themselves in the foot over and over again. And I feel like if you if you really pressure them, uh, that can cause them a lot of problems. But I, I I don't know how they set it up defensively, but that'd be something that I would want to do if I could uh, if I was facing this UCF team right now. Well, uh, coming into this game, Charleston
0: is three and one. Their only loss was to Oklahoma State by 19. They've beaten Georgia State. South Carolina Upstate, and they won at Marshall. Um, interestingly enough, too, Murph, this game is uh, – I'm on Charleston's website here, and it says – now both these teams are going to be competing in the Wooden Legacy out in Anaheim, which I know you can't wait to go see. Um, it's a non-bracket game. It's a non-bracket game. So ha- how does that even factor into the tournament? It does not. That's the yeah. Well, what's the it point of not. even saying that? Like a Wooden Legacy – it's oh, in because, a legacy. because
2: both – because both teams are going to be in the wooden classic. They're just going to be in opposite brackets. So people so and, and this has happened the last few years in a lot of these tournaments it's happened at the Advocare in Orlando, where certain teams that are in that tournament, they'll just decide to play each other and get a guarantee, you know, before the tournament. It doesn't it, it does not account to the tournament. It's just, hey, you're getting a game in. So yeah, that's it. really what behind that. It's a little confusing, but that's why they do it. But both teams are going to be in Anaheim potentially with Murph. And who knows, Murph? I know you're going to miss this game because you'll be in New Orleans and Tulane, but if you end up going to Anaheim on that Sunday, these two teams could play again.
1: Possibly so. Uh, yeah, Jeffrey, just so you know, uh, of the eight teams in that, in that Wooden Classic, I believe all of them are facing another team that's also in the Wooden Classic yeah. this week. Huh. All right. Well, you learn something new every day.
0: Um, all right, so that'll be the, uh, that, that's what UCF has coming up on Saturday Against Charleston before they head out to Anaheim. Their first game in Anaheim Who's is calling that game, huh? Who's calling that game? Oh, on, uh, the Charleston game on ESPN uh, three. Is O'Donnell I don't, doing I don't, it? Yeah, know. Ari Ari and, uh and and uh, Mike O'Donnell will be doing that game. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm looking at the, uh, at the game notes here. Who's this Eric Lopez guy filling in for uh, for filling in for Mark Daniels doing UCF hoops, huh?
2: We're going deep in the bullpen, man. It's, it's, it, this is the Equinox. When
0: Elo you and friend uh, of the pod, Taylor Young.
2: Yep, yep. yep. Get a little reunion there. Uh, we'll be on the call there. Two o'clock. We'll be on the air around 155. Filling in for Mark. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. But uh, t- helping, being a team player, helping out. And Murph, I encourage you to, I know you'll be in the press box at beautiful New Orleans there. But I, I know you got some, you know, you can put the audio on, you know, a little earpiece in there, you know. Just, just give it a little listen. And, you know, in return, I will follow you on Twitter during the football game. We can make that trade.
1: That's right. I'll, and then I'll ask Heifel afterwards what he thought of Avery Diggs.
2: Beautiful. See? <laughs> and I'll ask Coach Dawkins in the postgame about the, his reaction to the football
1: game. All right. This is yes. getting
0: out of hand now. Okay. Um, okay. Probably not. The, the – uh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, oh, I, I will say this. I uh, I will definitely be listening to the basketball game, Eric Lopez, to hear hear you and T.Y. on it. And uh, and uh, wow. Okay. All right. Boy, you know, we yeah, better not, UCF, had yeah, better you not know, lose be to careful. Charleston at this game because if they do, that might be it for you, bud.
2: No pressure. No pressure. No they had, pressure. They had a, now, you were at, a, did you, as a student, were, were you at the, the, the memorable game when they beat Charleston when they were ranked? I um,
0: called that game on student ratings. Right. First ever UCF basketball win over a ranked opponent at the old arena when Charleston had won the, I think, what? What was the term? the Great Alaska Shootout? They won the Great Alaska Shootout the yep. weekend before. Um, I think they beat they beat someone big that year. I forget who it was. I I don't know if it was Duke, but it was it was somebody serious and uh, and they were ranked number twenty five in the country. And UCF when beat them uh, and, uh, on UCF's own floor. So there is some history between these two squads. Um, and uh, and yeah, you'll be you'll be a part of that. Do you want me to get you the audio? I think I can find it.
4: Sure,
2: get uh, the audio, but more importantly, hopefully, I'll just match your record of one and zero. That's uh, a game. That's all I can ask and then, for. And then, Murph, you're next. Next time we play College of Charleston, you'll get the call.
0: Right? No thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, real quick, women's basketball—they uh, are two and two on the season. After uh, a couple of, well, they got they got blasted in a couple of games on the road. They got they got beat 72-37 at Belmont. They got beat seventy-two fifty at Florida Gulf Coast, but. Third straight road game at Stephen F. Austin, out to Nagadocious. It was a close game throughout, and UCF came back, got the W by 6, 63-57. Um, K.K. Uh, Wright got the start in this game. She had been coming off the bench because she's been hurt a little bit. She's been nursing a couple things here things here and there. But 4 of 9 from the field twelve at uh, 10 points. Leading scores for UCF, Masani Kava with 12, and also uh, Siani Martin off the bench uh, with 12. As uh, as the knights uh, shot uh, forty no as fifty percent on the dot, including fifty seven percent in the uh, fourth quarter to get the victory, and they held um, charl or they, not charleston that's the men's team they held stephen f austin to forty one percent in the fourth quarter um, as well to get the uh, victory going two and two so it's been it's been kind of an uneven start for the women's team um, after that opening win against pit. Um, they they also feel like they're trying to figure things out with this rotation as we thought they would. Um, they have a big game on uh, Sunday against Delaware and then Wednesday afternoon against Stetson. That's the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, and, uh, and they'll have to figure some more things out before they head out to the Cavalier Classic at Charlottesville, uh, the home of the uh, Virginia Cavaliers to face UCLA and James Madison. So, Good. I, I think they needed win, that. By the way. Honestly, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good that. win on the road at Stephen F. Austin, isn't
2: it? Salvage the road trip. You know, I think that you know. I watched some of the Florida Gulf Coast game. I knew that was a bad matchup. Florida Gulf Coast just chucks it, man. They go forty threes a game, and I'm not even joking. No, they that's their game. That is such an see.
0: Atlantic Sun Conference team. I can't even stand it. It's
2: unbelievable! It's a lot of fun. I mean, they've been successful. They've won. 25 oh yeah, teams they, They're really good. So I wasn't surprised with a young team like this. And you talked about it. Still learning defensively. They struggled against Belmont and Florida Gulf Coast. Two teams are probably heavy favorites to win their respective leagues. But to win at Stephen F. Austin, important. I think it's only the fourth time that Stephen F. Austin's lost at home in the last uh, handful of years. They're not uh, easy to win up there in just Texas. And they did well, and they got back to defense there. Give that stat again, and you just gave about that fourth quarter.
0: Oh, it was uh, the uh, shooting. I, I just I just pulled away the dumb
2: oh, box is Stephen score. Go ahead Austin, again.
0: Sorry. Or- at UCF
2: defensively made Stephen F. Austin stone
0: cold down in the fourth quarter. 41% in the fourth quarter, shooting-wise. So, um, Thank you. Thank you, Murphy. You. you just Jeff, that joke went all over your head there. Yeah, Rob. it did. Sorry. Sorry. Um, so they get the W, and they're now 2-2 two and two on the year. And uh, they play uh, Delaware on uh, upcoming this uh Sunday at 2 p.m. Now, that's not the only on-campus sporting event that will be happening on Sunday that is worth paying attention to. When we get back, we will preview the first-ever American Athletic Conference Volleyball Tournament. UCF is hosting the six-team field Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're going to have a lot of volleyball at the venue. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be fun. We're going to take a look at what UCF's path is going to be. And then last but far from least, it's Brian Murphy. Fall ball time. Uh, we, are gonna, we are going to get the last we are going to get the last breakdown. Last on
1: the show, number one. Last on the show, number one in your hearts.
0: That's it. we will we will get the full breakdown of the Black and Gold World Series from pitch counts to uh, to uh, pitch effects. You name it. It's all coming from Brian Murphy here. So buckle your seatbelts, folks. Stick around. We'll be right back. We're back here on the Black and Gold Bannerette podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here as we wrap up a loaded, loaded show. Um, lots to talk about still in event, including what's going on this uh, weekend at, on campus. It is volleyball time. UCF uh, won their final two matches of the season at Temple and UConn. And uh, the Knights are now headed—well, they're not headed anywhere. They're staying home. At 21-7, and 7, they are hosting the American Athletic Conference Volleyball Championship. Now, the reason why they're hosting is not because UCF was the number one overall seed, but because they were the champions from last year. Now, remember, this is the first ever American Athletic Conference Volleyball Championship tournament. It's a six-team field the, uh, the two uh, division winners got buys to the semifinals. So that's number one seed of Cincinnati, who beat UCF twice this year. Number two seed, SMU. First two matches, the quarterfinals, or the first round actually, are on uh, Friday. UCF plays at 330 against, they're the three seed. They play the number six seed, Tulsa, at 330, followed by number four seed, Houston, and number five seed, Tulane, at six, both of those matches and the semis will be on the dig- American Digital Network. If UCF defeats Tulsa uh, in the first match, uh, they will face then number two, uh, SMU. And uh, looking back at the season schedule uh, for uh, UCF, they uh, defeated Tulsa three. Uh, it, it swept them at Tulsa back on October the 20th they their only meeting. Um, with the, uh, with the Golden Hurricane. But uh, three UCF Knights made the all-conference team in volleyball, Anne-Marie Watson, McKenna Melville, and Christina Fisher, top three hitters for UCF. McKenna Melville, by the way, was a unanimous selection. Uh, and, uh, and with that, UCF heads into, um, into this uh, volleyball tournament, uh, despite the fact that, I mean, really, we, we thought this would happen, Eric, UCF, by the way, finishes uh, fourteen and two in the league. Uh, SMU fifteen and one, or Cincinnati rather, fifteen and one. SMU won the West with an eleven and five record. So, um, even though the West is a little bit more stacked with Houston, Tulane, and Tulsa all at five hundred or better, uh, UCF and Cincinnati are the are the uh, class of the conference, and it's really it's really something that UCF at fourteen and two and twenty one and seven overall. Eleven and three at home, hosting the tournament, they have to <laughs> play in the first round. Yeah,
2: it, well, it, and that's because they wanted to reward the division winners to get a bye. You know, but, but that's the negative of having divisions. Is...
0: I know that. I know that Todd Dagenais is set, sitting back in his office thinking, "I knew it. I knew this would happen."
2: Well, yeah, I mean, because UCF Cincinnati are the two best teams, and and but because of the division winners situation, that's why SMU gets the buy. Let me ask you this: uh, Who is I don't know? You're the unofficial voice of UCF volleyball. You'll be on the PA. Can we? Convert? I'm I'm or doing
0: the... PA for the tournament. Yes, all five minutes. Nice.
2: beautiful. Uh, you gotta love that, Murph. I that's yeah, gonna be good. Um, yeah. Any? Because uh, people have asked me about this, and I, I just gave them the I'll ask Jeff answer basically because okay. I'm you're know, around. Why is UCF playing the early games on Friday, playing at three thirty, and then at one on Saturday? And the reason people have brought this up: number one, it's a you know three thirty, so now you know instead of six o'clock, more people you know it's, people are still working at three thirty on a Friday, and then Saturday, if UCF were to win, they're directly going head to head with men's basketball, tips off at two, and volleyball at one. People have wondered why it wasn't UCF, especially as the host, play the uh, the later games and Kind of be more, I don't know, fan friendly, and that's
0: he, a great, great question. And my answer is, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, have, um, I have no idea. I, I, I want to ask uh, I want to ask Todd about it, um, at some point, but uh, maybe when we right, get it to the I mean, availability it could be two
2: things, it, right? it could be the conference, just set the times, right? right. I mean, it, and it's just hey, that's the slot you're in. It could, it could um, be,
0: it could have something to do with TV, also with the with the digital network. Um, that that might be their lone time slot that they have it li- to to to, right. to to go with two two the, matches.
2: If, right, and if UCF got a chance to pick the times, because host teams a lot of times in a lot of the other conference championships, I'm not going to speak for volleyball since it's brand new. Uh, the other sports usually the host team gets to pick the time, but I know there are coaches that rather play first because they get a chance to re- recover longer time to recover. And it, like for example, if UCF were to get to the semis and win that match, they could sit back and watch the second semifinal and scout. So I didn't know if it was strategic, if it was conference title. We probably we're making a bigger deal than it is. I grant you that. But there are some fans, Jeff, that reached out and asked. And so I figured to ask you.
0: That's a good question. I wish I had an answer. I don't. I, uh, I don't. I, I, that's, that's, I'm being 100% honest with you. I have no idea. Right, if, I, if, I was, if I were UCF, yeah, I would want that 6 p.m. on Friday when everyone gets off of work. Um, and gets out of class, uh, and then this, and then the semi. Well, I mean, I, the conference is probably going to set that. Actually, the higher seeds are going to set that. So Cincinnati must have said, "All right, we want the nightcap at 3:30." That's a
2: great point. That's a great point, Jeff. That's a great point you just mentioned. I'm glad you brought that up because there are leagues that sometimes will give the maybe the
3: regular season champion got to pick when yeah. they want. That's a great
2: point. That's a great
0: point. So, so that would be that would be the, the uh, that would be the thing that I, I, I think is probably the likeliest scenario in terms of the semifinals. I don't know about the Friday match though. Uh, what I do know is that uh, it doesn't matter who. Uh, no one gets to choose this. On Sunday, uh, the final is at 1.30 on ESPNU. So we could have, uh, it, and if UCF gets through, obviously their first round match with. Uh, with Tulsa, they would play SMU. Uh, their uh, their record against SMU this year, they played them once because they were in the other uh, side at SMU, and, and beat them 3-1. SMU,
2: <laughs> tough match, by the way, real Excuse tough. Because, yeah, I don't know what it is, but we're getting tough draws here and we're not making this up. Yeah. SMU, okay? You uh, Let's kind of quickly pair this. Cincinnati and UCF are going
0: to be in here regardless of what happens here. Would you agree with that, Jeff? Uh, the, the in, the yeah. in the tournament, yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. No. it, it the, the RPI, by the way, Cincinnati is twenty-five, UCF is yep. twenty-eight, so they're right. in. So they, they should be in. They're going to be in. In fact, this is how
2: predictable the committee is. This is not a, as Paul Heyman would say, Murph. This is not a prediction. This is a spoiler. <laughs> mm, uh,
0: UCF, yes, uh, UCF,
2: UCF will probably be sent on a bus trip to Gainesville uh, for the NCAA tournament. I'm just going to go on and we'll predict, uh, give you that on that. But let me. I want to focus here, Jeffrey, because. Not only they got to play an extra match, which now that means they got to win this championship. They got to go three in three days instead of teams like Cincinnati and SMU only have to go two in two days. And and you could discuss the difference of an extra day. But UCF, if they were to beat Tulsa, is going to play an SMU team that knows they have to win that match. Their RPI is at 53. They're on the bubble for the NCAA tournament. A win over UCF at UCF would be huge for SMU outside of winning the conference tournament. That could be enough to get them in and get a third team into the league, which is part of the reason why this tournament exists, correct?
0: Uh, exactly. It, 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 the reason why, at least in terms of what I've been able to gather from, uh, from hearing from some of the coaches, is that um, it gives a team like SMU that, that shot. And, what, and it also actually, here's how it helps. Like you said, their RPI is at 53 so if SMU beats UCF, they will have beaten a top a, an RPI top 30. If they beat Cincinnati and win the tournament outright, they will have beaten two top 30s. Well, it wouldn't so matter.
2: They would get the automatic
0: bid. They would we still get the automatic beat. bid, but that might might help them in terms of could they get a favorable position in the tournament? On the other hand, if you're Cincinnati and UCF, you know, yes, you have to play this tournament, but at least if you're UCF, okay, so their path is They're playing uh, Tulsa. All right, Tulsa, I'm looking at them uh, down. 81. 81, 81. okay. So that's a top 100 RPI game. They're not playing, you know, for example, they're not playing uh, South Florida, who's at 237.
2: Which is why I want to applaud the coaches here for making this a six-team tournament and not have one of these. Like Everybody's invited because that's how you hurt your RPI. If you let everybody in, that includes the bottom team. So let's give credit. To the coaches, whether you were for this tournament or not, I like the fact that it you have that you have to earn making this conference tournament. Well, I applaud that. Well,
0: the coaches who who were in favor of this, they they the reason why they agreed to this format was to throw a bone to the coaches who were opposed to it, more or less, um, because the coaches who were opposed to it, that's the concern that they brought up. Why? Would you hurt the league by making the top by hurting the top team's RPIs by playing the number, you know, let's say let's say they even went to eight. Okay, so that would be let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That would be I'm ECU, Yukon, Wichita, Memphis are all six and ten in the league. And it would be it would have been a log jam in there. But so but if I when I'm looking at the RPI, all right, I'm seeing Uh, Let's say it was ECU, UConn, Wichita State's one hundred and nineteen, ECU's one hundred and fifty-four, Memphis one hundred and seventy-three, UConn two hundred and two. So you're only you're only playing teams in the RPI top one hundred. So that would that in turn boosts the conference in terms of, and the lowest seeded team is Houston. And they are 111th at the uh, in, in in the uh, in the bracket, so or, or in the RPI. So yeah, Tulane that, is 67, so 67, so they're from, good. From Sin- R- yeah, C- Cincinnati actually caught a break here. So,
2: you no, know, it's the regular season, though top seed, you should.
0: Probably. Yeah, um, and uh, it, it, that's but Houston's the lowest RPI. They're just they're knocking on the door of the top 100 at 111. So that that's why this. Worked out as it was. Nonetheless, for UCF, um, you want to get the W over Tulsa. You want to get the W over SMU. And then if you can get one more crack at Cincinnati on your home floor, granted they national will have television. played one fewer match than you, but again, national TV, this will be a real showcase match for volleyball on ESPNU. It'll be Jordan Thompson, um, you know, U.S. Olympic team hopeful, um, you three-time know, three-time player of the year, three-time and player of the friends. year, fifty kills in a match, and all that. And then, yeah. how does McKenna Melville match up against her? How does Anne Marie Watson match up against her? Can this, you know, and then UCF would kind of come in as sort of like the underdog at home. Should be a good crowd for that match as well. So uh, there, there's a, that could be a real fun Sunday, and uh, and that's what I think the conference is really looking for. Is you know. We can match up our two best teams in the final conference match of the year. They'll both be in the RPI Top 30, which is exactly what they hope for and plan for, and that's what, they, that's what they would get if UCF faces Cincinnati. And then, you know, we can showcase our best teams on national TV before selection time.
2: Yeah, I think television would prefer that. Uh, uh, I think the league wouldn't be that upset, though, if SMU in it, because that could get
0: them a third team in to the tournament as well. It could, I mean, could indeed, SM, I think, yeah. Right. If SMU loses, they might be out, but...
2: I mean, it's a chance to showcase Jordan Thompson, who's probably going to hopefully be in the Olympics here in about a year in Tokyo. And our friend Jeffrey, uh, SB Nation, the Cincinnati version, uh, that our friends that we've yeah, had.
0: yeah, Mike Schneid down the drive, right?
2: They were making the case about Jordan Thompson being not only one the greatest volleyball player, obviously in that program measure, but one of the greatest Bearcat athletes ever.
0: Uh, I would, I, how- she's yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would put her right up there. She is. We've seen a lot of volleyball players come through UCF. I've seen a lot in the last. 19 years she's the best i've ever seen and we've seen stanford come through we've seen florida come through a couple times we've seen usc come through best player we've seen florida state come through a couple times she's the best player i've ever seen and there's and there's there's no doubt about that Uh, due respect to all those other players from all those other schools she's the best i've seen you know and she should be on the u.s olympic team and if they decided to make her one of the and if she's in the Mount Rushmore of Cincinnati athletes, you get no argument from me. Yep. So, uh, so again, November 22nd, Friday, first round, UCF at 3.30, at home against Tulsa. If they win, they play on Saturday at 1 against SMU. And uh, if you can't make it to the venue, both those matches are on the American Digital Network. Okay, Murph has been waiting all, all this first Here segment for this. Let us... Talk some baseball. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, <laughs> Black and Gold World Series was this past, uh, finished up this past weekend. Murph was there for everything. Um, also, the uh, recruiting class. Uh, it, 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 the headline up there on uh, um, at the top right now is the recruiting class for UCF baseball.
1: Yes. But, but all those guys are here. Like Those, those
0: guys are playing right. now. Right, so you, so you got a good look at them here in this in, in this uh, three game set. Um, Sam Unger was live tweeting it. No, I'm just kidding. He wasn't live tweeting it, but, but he was he was asking you for he was asking you you know for for the update. There was uh, some hefty conversation there, and we we love we love you, Sam. You know that. Um, but uh, all right, so what are we what are we what are we looking at here? There's there's a whole bunch of new players on this team. Um, What's the, what's, what's the lowdown here, Murph, as we head toward the colder months?
1: Well, over the weekend, last weekend, they played some uh, exhibition baseball, and things happened. Now, All you right, you thank
0: you me? for listening. This has been, anyway, You're sorry, welcome.
1: How much stock do we put into these things? Not much. Because, again, it's November, <laughs> and the season doesn't start till February. But it was fun, right? Like, just to go out there and see the guys. I think, again, the takeaways from this fall season, uh, for me, probably three or fourfold. But the most important part was in one of those games against Stetson that they played, uh, they were able to get a lot of guys who ended last year with you know injuries. They were able to get them out there and, and, and pitching. Uh, Joe Sheridan, Trevor Holloway, Nolan Lebkowski. So that's good. And you know, they, we've got positive, positive news on guys like Zach Helzel and Ryan Salton-Stahl, who are coming back apace. Um, but as far as what went down, uh, I think offensively, what people want to you know hear about, like, all right, who's going to provide for this team that's got basically two returning batters? It's got Dalton Lingo and Ben McCabe. Um, I think you saw a couple of things uh, that were interesting. You know, Jeffrey, you mentioned the, that uh, recruit article. Uh, there are a couple names mentioned in that article that, that kind of starred in this football season, I think one is Josh Crouch, uh, a catcher transfer, uh, uh, catcher transfer, um, who I believe had three RBIs in the game against Stetson. Another one, a guy named Trent Taylor, who right now they have listed as a utility player. He had a three run, he had a two run triple and a two run double over the course of uh, this fall season. Um, you know, I, but but I think there were a lot of guys who shined. Also on the mound, uh, Jalen Whitehead, uh, I believe. Struck out again, stats are hard to count because they're not really kept, but I believe Jalen Whitehead struck out uh somewhere on like eighteen guys in the span of like like nine like ten or eleven innings this, this uh fall season. That seems pretty um, good. It was great, and he barely gave up a hit, by the way, while doing it. Um or should and, I be concerned uh, about the hitting? <laughs> That's the problem with interest black yeah. games But also a a guy that I led my conversation with, uh, led off my conversation with with a great love lady after the final game of the Black and Gold World Series, uh, with Eric Lopez by my side, asking questions as well. I asked him about Jeffrey Pena. Jeffrey Pena is was really last year just a. Um, a pinch runner type of guy. I believe he got yeah. eleven at bats all year. He scored won, won the uh, he scored the game winning run in the walk
0: off against uh, Memphis in the in Clearwater, the game that I called for the American
1: Division yes, Network. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. And he also he also had the game winning RBI to win the uh, Black and Girl World Series for Team Black on a walk off walk. And there was much rejoicing, and he got dog piled. Uh, but I thought in this fall overall, he looked impressive at the plate, and we've never really seen him. As much of a hitter, so he had um, a, couple of, a couple of hits in an RBI in one game. He had an opposite field home run in the finale of the Black and Girl World Series, which is like kind of eye-opening for a guy like him. So that's where I started my conversation with, with Greg Lovelady, as you're about to hear, is what do we expect of Jeffrey Pena this season? What do you think about Jeffrey's role going into this season? Well, I
5: mean, I, mean, I think he's really done what he can to lock down the center field position. Mm. Um, you know, Offensively, you know, he's obviously been able to run and, and play really good defense, And uh, but offensively he has made unbelievable strides. I mean, to see him hit an oppo home run is um, really remarkable. It's just a testament to him and how much work he's put in the weight room to, to Teddy and, and Barrett, We're just working really, really hard with him in the cage. You know, he had a great summer, and it's just really transformed. I think he just feels more confident. Obviously, the language barrier and stuff like that and just – Getting more comfortable and, and with new guys and stuff, I just think it was a little bit of a grind for him last year, and just like a totally different person. And so he's really made huge offensive strides, and going to be a major part of our team, mm. um, offensively and defensively. So it's, it's good to see. I mean, we knew we needed somebody in center field defensively, and we knew that we could trust him, but. We needed to see some more stuff offensively out of it. I mean, we've definitely seen it so far.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jalen, not only tonight, but again, sets in two, two good innings. And then tonight, I think he struck out seven. Yep. I mean, uh, what, what what, what do you see from him?
5: Yeah, I mean, again, just the, the comfortability and understanding who he is and what his strengths are. Give him uh, you the, know, you a know, guy that's obviously a fifth-year senior and, and been uh, through this process a lot and gone through some ups and downs and, you know, he's shown some really great outings and some really bad outings over his career, you know, especially last year. He didn't pitch a lot two years ago, but last year there was days where, you know, he'd go three great innings and there's days where he'd come in and give up a couple runs and just kind of, again, that, that roller coaster uh, ride. But the more comfortable you get, the more you really understand how to pitch and what, what you can do and what, you know, trying to stay within yourself and mentally, I mean, he's a guy that really understands the mental game and has really changed. I think a lot of things sped up on him. Um, not putting pressure on himself but wanting to do good and wanting to do well I think was really a problem for him and just the fact that he's relaxing and, and again he had second and third out, and he strikes out the side mm-hmm. and we talk about that all the time that you can't do that if you're like oh my gosh second and third like uh, I'm going to give up runs in the city and like how am I going to get out of it like this is bad no man you just okay I'm just going to win this pitch and I think that he's really done mentally where I think he would have Panicked and it, it would have ran into a beginning last year or the year before. This year as a, as a guy that's been that and understands so how the game is,
1: he handles that situation beautifully and is able to get out of it. I think offensively there are a couple there are a number of guys who I think showed out. Uh, Josh Crouch, uh Trent, Trent Taylor, Pablo Ruiz. Who stood out to you basically? Yeah,
5: you know, well Jordan Rathbone's really had a great a great couple weeks, especially the last couple games, hitting the ball hard, getting some huge hits. Um, obviously Nick Romano's done some good things. Um, and really stood out. Crouch has been great all fall, mm-hmm. led our team in home runs, and, and pretty <laughs> much hitting.
1: My
5: uh, only obviously, I Jeffrey has done some tremendous back. things. I mean, he got lead off the game uh, with a hit, I think, in game one or game two, and then obviously the home run today, and then base hit, Bunning. And, um, you know, obviously, uh you know, Orlando gets a big hit. Uh, so, I mean, again, I think just a lot of guys. Uh, ben McCabe got two hits today, so I mean it hasn't had a great fall offensively, so it was good to see him get a couple hits. So, uh, you know, I think from top to bottom, I just saw a lot of good things from a lot of good guys. Um, you know, it was, it was unfortunate that, that, that Joston, you know, wasn't able to finish the fall and stuff, but obviously we think he'll be healthy for the season. He was our best guy all fall um, up until the point of, of the first Stetson game. So... Um, you know, Connor Allen has really been a, a different player the last couple weeks. I think they had just the comfortability and getting situated. And, you know, obviously Ted and Barrett have done a great job, I think, offensively of, of really giving the guys some identity and, and having great approaches at the plate. And I think it showed. I mean, obviously tonight we walked, some, walked nine times, so um, and, and we were able to put together big hits. And we scored runs late. I mean, off bullpen guys, I mean, uh, we didn't do a very good job off the two starters. But late in the game, you got to find a way to score
1: runs and, and, and get big hits, and we were able to do that. Pitching-wise, we it just—it's good to see so many of the guys who were hurt on the mound. So you guys, especially at Stetson, when you got Joe Nolan, Trevor—all the same game. I mean, uh, so what stands out to you on the mound from this fall? Yeah, I mean, again, just the depth. Um, and now, of course, like I said that we are a to
5: be on the mound, and, and you know, the, the injury bug got us. But um, I mean, to see—I mean, we've got six guys that I feel like can start for us. Mm. Um, I feel like. We've got a de- depth in the bullpen, obviously, with guys that are still coming back. Ryan Solstall and Stahl and Levkoski and um, Obviously, Joe is, is-, is pitching well. And-, and he's not even, I don't think, close to where he'll be when it comes to the season. So I mean, we're going to have the depth. I think we're going to have 11 or 12 guys that can really pitch. I mean, Hunter Patterson did a great job mm-hmm. uh, as a young guy. Um, so I mean, I think we're going to have the depth on the mound. It's really going to be able to mix and match some things and not really overuse guys like we kind of had to last year with with Hakinson at Kemp where we just felt like we ran them a little bit too hot um, because we just didn't have the depth of injury. So I think we'll have the injuries to keep it fresh, to, to mix up looks, um, to, to mix and match, keep guys fresh for the end of the year, um, and really give give I think other other offensive teams
2: never a, a never an opportunity to get comfortable against anyone. Is there any part of the fall that surprised you maybe any individual surprise or any aspects of the team that surprised you maybe, maybe um. you maybe didn't expect this fall? No, I mean, I guess the biggest surprise was with 20 new players and 13
5: freshmen. I mean, we talked about this there in the meeting. It was like the first day of practice. I think all of us coaches were like, oh, well, like we are a ways away. Um, and the kids never wavered. They just worked hard. They showed up every day. And the amount of, I mean, the, just the growth from day one of team practice to the last day of team practice was um, unbelievable. Uh, I mean, just a, an immense amount of work put into it, but growth. Um, and guys just getting comfortable. And, and just these freshmen, I mean, they're – they're really my first group, um, first recruiting class. That I really got to recruit from from the, from you know by the time you know before at the same time as every other school, and really build relationships and get the right kids. And there's the competitiveness and the work ethic, and they've they've really done a great job of setting the tone, um, mixing in and, and really pushing the older guys. And I think it's made our team better. I think we were we have the depth for real competition at every position. Um, we just haven't had that kind of depth. And it's kind of been here's your guys and the nine guys. And, and, you know, those guys are looking over their shoulder going, there's nobody here. Like, I, I don't have any worries. You know what I mean? And now it's, man, like, you got Nick Romano and, and Connor Allen battling it out. I and mean, you got five infielders battling it out. Like, you've got outfielders, DH battling it out. you got catchers battling it. I mean, and, and, again, on the mound, there's six or seven guys that can start, I think, for us right now. There's only three or four spots. So that's real time. And we, we've usually had decent competition on the mound. But we're deeper again on the mound than I think we've ever been. And, um, you know, the experience is what we lack offensively, but, Again, I think that this fall was a great growth opportunity. I think the guys did a tremendous job of, of really getting after it. They're
1: definitely a whole lot better than they were. And I think that's been the biggest surprise, just to see the growth as fast as, as, fast as it happened. I know last time I talked to you, it was about Wingo. The other offensive starter, the front the back, is Ben Game As a catcher, too. How critical is he going to be? Yeah, I mean, big. I mean, Josh Crouch is really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got a
5: chance to really be a big part of our offense and a big part, you know, he, he is a really good receiver. Mm. Uh, so, again, I think those guys will split. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see more out of Ben. You know what I mean? Like I think that he has the ability, and the, and what he's done last year, and what he showed, like at, at that age as a freshman to do what he did, and like he, he he set the bar really really high for him. And obviously, I have really high expectations for that position. Um, and um, you know, I, I thought he had an okay fall. I think he can be way better. He's still got room for growth. He's really got to take that next step. We're um, just having those two guys. And I don't have to I not have to run one of them out there, you know, 60 or like 60 starts out of 65 games. Like I can split it and both those guys I trust and, and know that they are a big part. They've done a great job getting to know the pitching staff. But um, that position, you know, is again as high as expectations I have. And maybe they don't ever, you know, I don't know if they'll ever live up to my expectations, you know what I mean? But um, to know you have two guys that, that can go out there and really command um, the, 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 the the strike zone in terms of helping pitchers and, and being um, a help to them, uh, I think, you know, just gives us, like, especially the pitchers, some peace of mind.
2: With the young roster, do you have leaders already
5: matured here, developed, here, even just a Yeah, fall? I mean, obviously the returners have done a great job. I mean, Dalton is an unbelievable leader, Jalen, um, uh, Salt, and stuff. Star- Litchfield, Helsel, um, on the mound. I mean, we got great leadership and offensively with only Dalton really being the older guy. But, you know, a guy like Jordan Rathbone has done a great job of just getting after it. And then the freshmen, they all push and work. I mean, Pablo and J.J., um, and Gabe Cabrera, like th- those guys really care. They want to win. Um, they're one of the most competitive groups I've ever coached in terms of just being that young and coming right in and just wanting to win and everything that we do and whether it's a, a sprint or, or in the weight room or, or, you know, doing some drill in the cage, like they want to win. Like they, they want to be the best and, and, but not in a, in a, um, in a selfish way. Like, you know, they're also the guys that we get done doing some really hard conditioning and I turn around and, and these young guys are going back and, Pushing other guys to finish, you know what I mean. And let's go. We got to get. We got. We got to. We got to get. We got to get better. Like let's go. We got you. Um, and that kind of stuff we just haven't had. And so just to see this young group really come in, and I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like um, you know an old dog getting a puppy, where it's like you know you kind of go through the motions, and all of a sudden you get this puppy that just wants to run around, and, and it's like all right, like I guess I got to keep up with it. Like I really felt like that that they brought some energy that the older guys were like whoa, whoa, like we're not going to let these guys out energy us, and so that's really kind of maybe put a little pep in those older guys. Or just, Guy step where you know maybe in the past it's like eh, hey, it's just another fall my senior year like just the fall like i'm here for the season where man like these young guys are really bringing energy like i gotta match it and i think that they've been great for our program and great great for our, this team because you know, they've really m- made everyone else up their game
1: so there's coach love lady along with uh me and eric lopez uh wrapping up the black and gold world yeah. series you, you heard him talk about cold
3: how weather cold
1: weather too. it was nothing mislead. like cold was- weather baseball baby it was miserable, but it was fun. Uh, you heard him talk about how Jeffrey Pena is going to be their probably their starting center fielder. How he wants to see more out of Ben McCabe, uh, and has really been impressed with Josh Crouch. Uh, talking about Jalen Whitehead sort of settling in, uh, and just a lot of other topics there. Uh, again, I, I don't want to get too far out in front. Obviously, I, I, it's hard for me not to get excited because it's baseball. But I, I am reminded that I am reminded that last November you know, Anthony George, Anthony George, the catcher was really the star of, of, of fall ball. He was outstanding. I think he had a fall ball game last year in which he had two home runs and he was coming out, he was coming back from an injury that cost him all but two games of, of the 2018 season. So there were high hopes for him after that fall ball. And he really um, didn't do a, a ton um, last season. So again, you don't want to overrate exhibition baseball, but at least they're out there and at least they look healthy and Everyone's on pace, and we're all waiting for the second week of February, basically. Baseball Less happened. than three
2: months away, baby. Less yeah. than three months from the first pitch. Valentine's favorite. What, what? Nothing says more than love, right? Fat Valentine's night than opening day of college baseball. Huh, Murph?
1: That's right. I mean, that's why they hired a love lady. That's Just right. Goes about branding and the marketing. Uh, perfect pretty
2: good. Real, real quick Murph a uh, couple, couple of my impressions as I, I, I hung out with Murph which Jeff by the way I recommend maybe we can do like an auction on Banneret where uh, we do a, a, a prize and the winner gets to sit with Murph and watch a baseball with him because it's really phenomenal it's entertaining as, as good as it gets I mean <laughs> you know, I, I loved it it was one of my favorite either that or
0: it's going to get us all in trouble but anyway
2: either way a uh, couple thoughts that jumped out at me Obviously, you talked about the youth that this team has. But, you know, Coach Lovelady mentioned, you know, this is his tr- first, finally, players that he's actually recruited that are on this roster this year. Finally.
0: And, right. And, and all you, all I, his guys, right?
2: Right, Murph. And I think, you know, and, 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 you, and he talked about the young guys being ex- aggressive and exciting. And, and I think that's something we tend to forget when we evaluate coaches here. And I think, Murph, and we kind of forget that Greg Lovelady got here late, got here late. Because Terry Rooney took the job to be the pitching coach at Alabama late. Uh, like about, a, I think I want to say it was a couple months after the season. And so he came in late and kind of got a late start in the whole recruiting thing. And now we're starting to see, we're going to see some of his players, his players.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, but up until now, he had sort of been recruiting off of what Terry Rooney had sort of done. And, and, and he was able to impress upon recruits about that 2017 season when he won the uh, – uh, the conference championship regular season but now he's got three you know he's got three full seasons here I remember my first gig for the black and gold bannerette was sitting in with Jeff Sharon as we interviewed Greg Lovelady for what was his first wow. week Orlando media that's right uh, back in February 27th when there were jackhammers going outside of his office because they were working on yes, the stadium right they were still working on the stadium um But now you're I think you're right. Like this is uh, uh, this is this is his entire this is his team now. I mean, I mean, clearly there is there there are no there are no holdovers left. I mean, everything that you see on the field uh, was brought in with Greg Lovelady's, you know, basically sign off. So we'll see how it works out. I think it's going to be a bumpy season, much like much like basketball in which. I think there's a lot of interesting pieces here, but I just don't know how it all fits together, and, uh, you know, it's going to be sort of a lot of learning uh, and growing pains as we go well, through it.
2: Well, doesn't the pitching have to carry them, especially early with so many new position players as they figure themselves out? You know, there's a lot of arms, healthy, knock on wood. Yeah. Right now, coming back, I mean, I really was impressed with Jalen and how he looked in person. I know it's fallable, but he looked much – he looked – and Coach Lovelady talked about, it, He, you know, there is that extra year of experience. And I feel yeah. like, Murph, especially early on, you know, they're going to play at Auburn, for example, I know early in the year and things like that, that their pitching probably has to carry them until this offense kind of figures out what who they are.
1: Yeah, and, and that's kind of been the staple of many Greg Lovelady teams is – uh, he wants to limit you, and then he wants to get into his bullpen and shorten the game. Uh, and he hopes to do that this year with with guys like, uh, you know, uh, Billy McKay and the guy that we saw last year in Zach Helsel. Jeffrey Hakinson is back, probably going to be maybe looking at the closers role again. And so he wants to always shorten games, get to his bullpen, and, and, and sort of shut you down from there. So, yeah, I think pitching's going to have to carry them, but I, I don't think that's any different than what – his recipe for victory has already been for the first three seasons he's been here. Yeah. Well, I
0: mean, at least now we have some names to go with some faces. I mean, that's the other thing. I thought that, you know, you thought that basketball was, had, a, had a huge amount of roster turnover. Take a look at what baseball's done. You know, it's pretty much, um, you know, a, yeah. whole, a whole new crew of guys out here. And by the way, I just want to put this out there. My favorite name of one of the newcomers, Major Posey. Major Posey. Oh, okay. Major Posey. Hey, we
2: thought we were going to go with Crouch. That's been kind of a – right? That's been the popular one, right? No, it give me this. Really- hey, yeah, big kid. Six,
1: four, righty from Tallahassee. Well, he's a right? catcher, too. He's a catcher. So, of course, his name is Crouch.
0: <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's and fantastic. He's gonna be a big
2: part of this offense, as Lady alluded to, and that's – There's some depth here. I mean, there's going to be. I mean, there's just going to be interesting competition here. And you mentioned, alluded to it, Murph, about McCade. I mean, there's some depth here. I mean, Crouch is going to be a part of this, either catching or, or they figure it out. They'll find if he's hitting, he'll find him in the play. But I think, you know, I got a sense for the first time since I've known Greg here in the last few years, he, I think he's excited about some of the depth possibilities he's got here, where there's legit competition, not like, well, this guy. There's not real competition. We already know who's going to be here or here. There's some legit competition here.
1: Well, there are so many spots up for grabs that there are so, and so there are, you know, there, there are lots of candidates that, that could possibly impact this team because there are just so many jobs that are not filled. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, you brought it up. That it was interesting how he, he kind of turned my question about Ben McCabe into really more about, well, we like Josh Crouch. Um, <laughs> you know, McCabe is sort of seen as like, uh, you know, uh, not not, you know, granted the the starting catcher job, but because he is one of the returners and did play pretty well as a freshman last year, you would imagine he's got the inside track. And and then he used that time to basically say, we really like what Josh Crouch is. And we think I think Ben McCabe needs to get better. Um, so he's kind of calling Ben out a little bit. So I, I think you know, and oh
0: you know, boy, Murph is stirring the pot. Here we go. No, I,
2: I would say it's competition, though, Murph. I mean, that's what we want, right? I mean, you got to push yeah, each Yeah,
1: no, other. absolutely. He's challenge but I think he's challenging Ben McCabe. I think he's challenging Ben McCabe, and I, I love that. You're going to get that from him uh, quite a bit, and I, I, I love, lo- I love, love for for that reason. That he's not, he does not wade in too much coach speak. He's pretty fun. And you no, know, so I did not expect him to basically say that they need Ben McCabe to be better. I thought he'd be complimentary. But, you know, hey, he's not going to be like that. He's going to tell you if the guy's not doing well enough, he's not doing well enough. Eric, I mean, we can't even go on the record with some of the things that, that he has said and then wanted to take back because he, right, right, right. you know, didn't mean to say something about some guy. <laughs> I mean, it's just that's what he is. He's, he's kind of unfiltered at times and it's fun.
0: Greg Lovelace, yeah, the most a, unplugged little, coach little, on all of UCF. <laughs> he's
2: great. got a little CM Punk, right? And I'm just when you think you have all the answers, he changes. You
0: know. You've been waiting an hour and a half to drop that one, <laughs> haven't you, Lopez? That's right. Yes. yes, it is. I'm so fired up this yes.
2: week. It's unbelievable. Plus, I think that's a record three wrestling references, which I'm excited about. <laughs>
0: one of which went way over my head. Anyway, um, all right, so <laughs> – uh, with that, well, I think we've pretty much covered everything, right? Feeling
2: yeah. good, Murph. You got that out of – I mean, February 14th, 6 o'clock at the John, Sienna ucf man, first pitch. Siena's back.
1: I, I trust you when you say that, Eric, because I'm still waiting for UCF to release their baseball schedule, but whatever. Oh.
2: For the record, I, I got it because Sienna released their schedule, so that's yes. where I got it from. I don't want to get anybody. I, Sienna released their schedule, and they, they, you know, come on, Merv, you don't need a schedule release to know the tradition that is Sienna and UCF to open the
0: season. Come on. Uh, the moderate Hawks would like a word with you, Eric Lopez, about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up here uh, on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Um, Murph, I'll start with you. What you got coming up? You got. I know you got your checklist coming and all that, right?
1: Yeah, the checklist or whatever you want to call it, uh, will be. <laughs> you know,
2: season's going to come to an end, guys. You might want to, you know. Come
1: to an <laughs> end. It's really the new name of the of the thing. It, there's no name. The name now is whatever you want to call it. Uh, but yeah, so that'll be coming out uh the, either the night before or the Murphy's J-O-B Laws. I've got it. Murphy's Laws. That's what we're gonna call oh. it. Ew. Anyway, before I was. <laughs> <laughs> Before I was rudely interrupted by this more awful pun puns. Um, it'll come out Friday the yeah. night before the game since it's an early start on Saturday. I will be in New Orleans for Tulane and UCF. I will get there Friday night. I will not try to, I will not be partying too hard on a Friday night because it's an early start Saturday. Yeah, right. And then I, and then I won't party very hard Saturday night either because I will be at the Saints Panthers game the following day. Oh, that's the party. As, as media at the Superdome, I will be looking to talk to Traquan Smith and Latavius Murray and also Teddy Bridgewater. Because if you listen to the McKenzie Milton interview from last week, McKenzie talked about how he had been in touch with with uh, Teddy Bridgewater and talked to him about the road back from massive career threatening knee injuries, which Teddy has good experience in. And yeah. you can see that Teddy's Teddy's made it back and he's he played really well and plays Drew Brees this year. Um some people would say he played better than Drew Brees, to which I would say you're wrong, but he still played very well.
3: <laughs> uh,
1: fantasy guru Brian Murphy making, a, uh, making an
0: appearance on the show. So,
1: so, no, I, I, I'm, so that's what I'm looking forward to doing on Sunday. Hopefully, get to talk to those three guys with UCF ties, and, um, and then we'll see what happens uh, from there. We come back, and, and then we're, we're, we're ready for the last game of the season. Uh,
0: Eric, what you got?
2: Well, as it was broken uh, earlier on this show, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I will be the I will have the honor of calling UCF men's basketball Saturday two o'clock with Taylor Young. Uh, game will be on you. You can listen to it on UCFNights.com. We encourage you to do that. Uh, with all due respect to my good friend Michael Donald, they'll be on ESPN three version. Two uh, o'clock tip will be on at one fifty. Looking forward to UCF in Charleston. I'll be doing that while Murph is at the football game, and then. A Sunday, I will be doing stats for the ESPNU crew for the American Conference Championship match. Jeffrey, I will be uh, wearing a headset. I will be uh, keeping track of stats, kills, digs, which means if Jordan Thompson's in that, that's mut—that's mo- how I make my money. Um, yep. so we're going to be doing stats from ESPNU broadcast of the American Conference Championship uh, match on Sunday, 1.30, as you mentioned. And then head over next door, to the track and field soccer complex because I will have the call of UCF's second-round NCAA tournament match, which will be on UCFNights.com on Twitch and on NCAA.com to be determined who our opponent will be. I think it's going to be Missouri State, but we'll know officially it's Thursday night because Missouri State hosts Denver. I will have the call on that. So, Murph, you, you don't have to come, but, you know, you're watching football. You're watching the Patriots beat up on the Cowboys there. You can just, you know, plug me in there as well. and that's, So I'll be doing all that. Catching a little volleyball, catching a, doing men's hoops, a little bit of a men's soccer. We're everywhere, folks. We're the black and gold. We're the only entity, boys, that could say we're pretty much at every UCF. We and are. That's,
0: that's what we pride ourselves on.
2: Because we, just, we couldn't find anybody. Yeah.
0: Sorry. Uh, I want you to make sure that you uh, follow Jeremy Brenner also on Twitter, who's doing a lot of work with uh, men's and women's basketball. Luke Saris as well. Luke Saris SBN on Twitter. Doing some more basketball work as well, and, and his uh, outstanding football previews um, heading into the uh, heading into the Tulane game and as well.
2: And my article too, where I ripped the committee about men's
0: soccer. More detail. Yes, the blowtorch <laughs> article is up there. Make sure you read that. Make sure you also read Anthony Lenahan's look at to- breakdown of Tulane. Um, and, and again, congratulations on behalf of all of us to Anthony on uh, on joining us here. We're really happy to have him on board. Um, And thanks uh, especially to you. Oh, also, I I did not want to uh, pass this up as well. Um, Make sure you take a look at, uh, as well, Chaz Short, CFB asterisk on Twitter. Um, Great discussion he had with Dr. Nathan Kalman Lamb of Duke University on the name, image, and likeness issue and a number of other issues that the NCAA is facing. So we did a little big picture stuff. If you look ahead to what... Uh, if, we, if you're thinking about you know, what's the future of football right now, what is the future of, of the NCAA and its role in governing student-athletes uh, and college sports, this is a great discussion that you want to have. And we're going to thank Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Nathan Common from Duke University on, uh, for his insight on this uh, as well. Great conversation if you get the chance to listen to, to read it. It's really fantastic. So, four uh thank by the way hey, where thanks. Are you. gonna be Jeffrey this week? Oh, where am I gonna be? I where will gonna... be at volleyball for all five matches, doing PA for all five, starting with uh, Friday afternoon. So um, it will be a busy uh, weekend for me. Saturday afternoon the double dip and then uh, and then the championship match on Sunday. So we'll all I'm sure run into each other well I know I'll run into you at the championship match, Eric, so um, that'll be... if
1: you run it to me. Something is going terribly wrong. Yeah,
0: that's what I figured. Um, but uh, but hey, that's uh, you know, like I said, we'll be there and we'll be uh, covering it live as uh, as we all do. And uh, follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret for all the latest. For uh, well, for Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, and also our guest from earlier today, Anthony Lenahan. I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for. Uh, listening to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are SP Nation's home for your UCF nights. Enjoy the weekend. Catch you next week.